Hi guys, I'm Jess. And I'm Heidi. And welcome to Betty Squared. Today we are looking at Riverdale's chapter three, uh, 53. Oh God, starting off on a good note for me. <laughs> chapter 53, and it's called Jawbreaker. Uh, and I got really excited about this title because it immediately made me think of the film that came out in 1999. Yes, I'm 100 years old. Uh, Cold Jawbreaker. Have you ever seen it? Oh, yeah, I have. I Because I'm the worst and you do so much work, more work than me for this podcast. I just show up. Um, <laughs> but um, I didn't look at the... Um, I totally missed the title. I didn't look at what the title was this time. So as soon as you said that, it made me think of that iconic scene of her, them opening the trunk and, and that girl being there. Did. Well, yeah, I thought the same thing. As soon as I read the title, I was like, oh, wait, that was that film that Rose McGowan was in. And so I looked up uh, on IMDb to see if there was anything else, because initially when I thought about this film and what it's about, I was like, oh, it kind of doesn't match with this episode, but then the more I dug into this episode, the more I realized it actually does. Uh, so Jawbreaker, like I said, was released in 1999. And the synopsis is, in what was meant as a harmless birthday prank, three of Reagan High School's most popular girls, Julie, Marcy, and Courtney, pretend to kidnap their friend. They later shove a jawbreaker into the victim's mouth to keep her from screaming. The plan goes awry when the girl accidentally swallows the jawbreaker and chokes to death. The cool and calculating Courtney tries to cover the crime, but is found out by the school geek, Fern Mayo. In return for her silence, Courtney transforms the geeky Fern into a stylish, beautiful Violette, uh, which I always remember thinking was really funny violet versus violet but anyway uh leaving the conscious stricken julie out in the cold threatening to set her up for the girl's murder if she breaks her silence i loved this film i remember uh going and seeing this film in the cinema and i remember i made my grandmother take me oh, no. <laughs> I mean, my, my grandma you gotta understand she's the coolest thing in the world like she's the cat's meow if you want to get classic about it but she is really cool she's very down to earth and she loves going to see movies it kind of doesn't really matter what it is she'll see anything so her, her taking me to this wasn't as unusual as you might think but looking back I am pretty sure I was about 14 at the time and this film is super not appropriate for somebody of that age certainly not the kind of 14 that I was um you know it's got a lot of sexual themes it's uh, a lot of swearing um and then obviously the fact that it deals with these girls trying to cover up this murder but it's done in a really clever way where it's kind of like dark comedy and it's they get away with more I think when they add this like comedic element to something that's very serious but I was obsessed with this film as a kid and um, it was nice to kind of revisit it. And I, I feel like I want to go and do a rewatch, but a couple of things that I found throughout this episode of Riverdale that connected it to this film. And again, because I know the film so intimately, this is why I was able to make the, uh, the connections is that baby teeth, he was murdered. And then during the autopsy, 
uh, it's discovered that he had a note shoved in his throat. So the note being stuck in his throat versus the jawbreaker being stuck in um, the girl's throat in the movie. So there were some, there were some tie-ins, which I thought were very clever. Uh, my favorite tie-in, and then we'll jump into Riverdale in this episode. My favorite tie-in was twice we see uh, the characters in this episode of Riverdale, you know, walking down the corridor or walking down the hall at school and there's music playing in the background and it's the same music both times. In Jawbreaker, there's that very iconic scene where they are walking down the hallway and people are literally jumping out of their way because these girls are the popular girls and they're feared and that same song plays. So whoever Mm. wrote this episode clearly liked this film which is another thing that's a little strange because the film actually flopped it didn't do well at all so the fact that they've tied it in to this film for this episode is yeah it's a little bit of a quirky choice but I love it I was totally on board yeah and it would have been really funny to see like Cheryl or somebody like I don't even jawbreakers were always so mysterious to me because it's like how do you eat those things there's Especially when you don't have the ones that are on a stick. It's like, how the heck do you eat these things? You They're get so a weird. jawbreaker on um, a stick? Yeah, you've never no, seen that those? that must be an American thing. Yeah. I mean, because they're super awkward to to eat. So, um, But most of the time I had them where they weren't. And it was just like, how do I just lick this ball? Pretty super weird. much. You just get um, it to the point where like, you just put it in your mouth and that's it. But if you go at it enough... By the time you get to your the very, very center, you can actually chew that. Yeah, yes, I remember that. But it's just initially awkward. But um, regardless, uh, there's also the kidnapping aspect that's right. similar between the movie and the uh, Riverdale, this episode, um, with Betty kidnapping right. her mom. Um, so yeah, now that you, I, since I hadn't looked at it, I hadn't thought about it. But yeah, there's lots of interesting callbacks to that. Um, to that movie and yeah I now want to go rewatch it because it's interesting it's kind of in the same vein as kind of Mean Girls um but mostly like Heathers um I would definitely put it in the same kind of category Jawbreaker to Heather oh yeah totally totally it's the you know the the outcast that suddenly finds herself in but there's all these dire consequences. Absolutely, I would say that Jawbreaker is probably derived from Heather's uh, because obviously Heather's came first. But yeah, I really yeah. liked it. And I, I like the fact that that spoke to you and I as probably older audience members. Kids today are not going to get that reference. You know, the movie came out in 99 and most of, most of Riverdale's watchers were probably born around that time. Or their their you know proposed audience would be born around that mm-hmm. time. So yeah, it was it was nice. I was like, oh, something for the old uh, the oldies. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. So this episode obviously opens up with Betty and Edgar having a conversation uh, about the farm and you know where it came from and everything. And you know how you and I in previous episodes of Betty Squared have gone back and forth about the farm. Is it actually a farm or is that just the name and blah, blah, blah? Did you hear Edgar say that, you know, when he was telling his story about how the farm came 
to be. He was on a literal farm? Yeah, he said that he was... He wanted to leave his life, he wanted to end his life, so he went to the desert, and then right as he was, like, at the point of death, he found this little farm, and he started working on it, and, and it saved him or whatever, so he wanted to create a farm for other people as well. So it seems like there's a farm. Right, which is what I heard as well, and it was it was just interesting because um, I know initially we uh, we were saying... Like, the farm isn't a farm, it's a building, so it's its name. So it's kind of more apparent now that the farm came from a farm, but isn't necessarily one now. Yeah, that they're expanding. So it started as a farm and then continued to grow. Like, um, oh my gosh, I can't remember what this documentary is called. It's on Netflix. It was really big, like a year ago, it got really popular, where it was about a cult, and they, um, they bought some land in, uh, in, like, a small town in America, and, like, took over the town. They all wore red. Did you ever watch this one? I'm gonna look it up. Um, but really great documentary. It was really interesting, but basically it was about how this cult, um, I think they were from overseas. I don't think they were from America, if I remember correctly. Um, so forgive me if I'm getting details wrong, but, um, but, uh, they were from overseas and they bought this land in America because it was cheap because it was this really small state, uh, really small town and area. And then they all came in and basically like took over the town. They all wore matching red and, um, and just built out from these small, like whatever kind of buildings they were before into creating a whole town for themselves. So that kind of seems to me what... Edgar's trying to do here I think he's it's a Hiram story again but in a different way where I think he wa- he would want to take over the town um but he's just doing it slower and kind of more intelligently than Hiram did it yeah and I don't know if you noticed this as well or how it sat with you but I was less attracted to him this episode and you know how I'm like oh my god Chad Michael Murray he's such a babe everything he said this episode seem to be rehearsed or um, staged or fake. Like, I didn't believe anything he said this episode. I, I even wrote a note that I don't actually believe his story about how he was like, you know, going to try and kill himself and that was it and this farm saved him. I was like, the way he's telling it is so structured that I don't believe it. Maybe, do you think maybe it happened to someone else? Like, is it like a um, Dread Pirate Roberts situation where there's always an Edgar Evernever and he picked up from someone else? First of all, love the Princess Bride reference. I adore you. And second, yeah, maybe, but I don't think it's in such a clever way, like where, you know, there always has to be a Dread Pirate Roberts. I think it's more, this happened to somebody else. And Edgar, for whatever reason, either killed this person or heard this story and was like, this is going to be my story to create this identity. Ooh, so it's a Lockhart, a Professor Lockhart situation. Yeah, yeah. I will have references. Oh, you are killing it this episode with your references. I love it. Let's keep it going the remainder of the episode. <laughs> I did find the name of that documentary. It's called, um, about that cult. It's called Wild Wild Country. It's very good. I've never heard of it. Yeah. But I'm totally on board. 
It's really, really interesting. My next note is something that I kind of had to watch two or three times because I was like, wait, is that actually happening or am I crazy? Like I mentioned before we started recording this episode, Heidi, I haven't been very well. So when I was watching the episode the first time, I completely missed this. And then I watched it back yesterday, which was like the height of this sinus cold that I've had. So I was like, wait, am I actually seeing this or am I so hyped up on Benadryl that I'm imagining things? Uh, But around, and I've got the exact time markings in case you or anybody else wanted to go back and look Mm -hmm. at what I'm talking about. So Betty is in uh, the Riverdale Register, no, not the Register, the the Blue and Gold's uh, office at school. And she's on the phone trying to track down uh, any information she can about Charles. Now, for whatever reason, I was drawn to her cell phone, which is on the desk in front of her, and it's blue. And it's not the first time that we've say- seen her phone. And I always, like, every time I see her use it, I'm like, why has she got a blue cover? Like, I would imagine Betty having, like, yellow or pink or purple or, you know, but for whatever reason, they've given her a blue cover on her phone. Then I started to notice the hole punch and the like the the tape or the sticky tape roll were also blue. And I was like, oh, that's cute. They've like paired things together. And then if you look a little further, there's two typewriters on two tables in front of her desk. They're both blue. And I was like, look at this. Everything is blue. Then Cheryl walks, uh, not Cheryl, Tony walks into the room to talk about Cheryl and the cult and like, you know, what the hell's going on. And the minute that Tony walks into the room, all the blue is gone. The typewriters are back to being white and everything on Betty's desk is white. What? I swear to God, I am not making this shit up and I didn't see something that wasn't there. I watched it three or four times to make sure what I was seeing was actually true. Whoa. I know. I don't know what that means or what that represents, but for anybody that wants to go back and watch it, uh, if you're streaming on the CW's network, which is how I did my rewatch, at 6.15, so if you drag the cursor to, you know, six minutes and 15 seconds, you can see uh, the blue that I'm talking about. And then if you fast forward a little bit, to 629, which is when Tony walks in the room, you'll see that all the blue is gone and everything is back to being white. That's crazy. Isn't that I'm crazy? I'm going to look it up on my phone while we're talking, so I want to see it. Yeah, please, because if I'm on crack, I need no, to no. know. <laughs> like if somebody, if somebody has like snuck it to me and I didn't know I was consuming <laughs> illicit drugs, then I need, I need to know. But yeah, it it's crazy. And then I even had a look at the lighting because obviously being involved in film uh, for work as, as I am, I was like, oh, maybe it's just a lighting thing. You know, like even like that silly dress thing where it was like, no, it's white and black. No, it's blue and yeah. black. And blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, maybe it's this and my eyes are just misreading it. But there's no lighting in that room that would give the hue of black. In fact, the lights that are on the desk are green. And they've got like a um, a tungsten kind of light, which anybody else 
involved in the industry will understand what I'm meaning, but it's a soft light. It's, um, it's very unusual. I'm really curious to see if anybody else is seeing that or if it's just me. I'm, Have you found it? Oh, okay. I'm fast forwarding right now. Yeah, go to 6.15 and, and you'll mm. see the blue. I'm doing it I'm on my phone, about. so I don't... Ah, but, uh, so it doesn't let me see the timestamp, so I have to, like, do it and then see where I'm, at, where I'm at and then do it. Totally. Yeah, I watched it back on my laptop. It's gonna... I got to around 5.30, so I'm gonna let it play for a second and I'll let you know. So there was... That's super weird, though. I okay. wonder if... If it's not a lighting thing, then is it some... Is it a mistake? Or... Because that's pretty specific. What does that mean for no, Betty? No, I don't think you it's know? a mistake. Right. I think it's there to signify something. And I'd be curious, since I've only just noticed it now, I'd be curious to go back and see if anything else happened like that or moving forward, if anything happens like that. Because the thing was, it was when she was investigating Charles and what happened. Now, I don't know if it's going to be something that we see every time Charles is brought up or if it's something that we see when Betty's investigating something, or if we are literally just seeing it this time and okay. somebody fucked I, up. I just saw it. Okay. I think I know what it is because there's nothing in the room, like the lamps and all that stuff. Don't give a blue light, but because it's nighttime outside, there's a blue light. Yeah. So I think that might be it. Cause there's this blue light coming in through the window. But have a look though. Like, Look at how specific that is, though. It seems too deliberate. I mean, maybe I just well, I think we'd have to see if there's more meaning to that. But the it's the all of those um, it is so weird though. But all of those things on the table are right in line with the window that is casting this really blue light. Yeah, it's weird. It's definitely weird. If, if it's not done deliberately, it is a terrible, terrible, terrible continuity problem. Yeah, it's problem. pretty bad if it's, if it's not meant to be meaningful. Right. And here's the thing as well. I am somebody, like I said, that works in film, that looks for stuff like this, who has worked in continuity before. So my eye is immediately drawn to stuff like that because that's what I've done for, you know, 90% of my career. But I don't know. I feel like there's more to it than this. I feel like it was too yeah. deliberate. It's definitely interesting because I feel like our Betty, poor thing, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk more about her from this episode, but she's going through it this episode as she has been the whole season. Um, and yeah. yeah, sometimes, I don't know, maybe, maybe we're meant to wonder, or maybe it's just a sign of that she's not, you know, doing okay, that there's, that, that she's really struggling. Yeah, because it's obviously, it's a very clear beat change when Tony walks in the room. It completely changes the whole feel of the scene. Yeah. So I, again, I feel like it was done deliberately, but yeah, it was, it was very, very strange, but I'm glad you saw it and you know what I'm talking about and no, I'm not yeah. on crack. It's totally there. It's pretty obvious yeah. when you notice it. Yeah. Anyway, just something I thought I would <laughs> comment on. What's your, what's your next note? Um, I kind of did like general notes cause there's interesting like storylines throughout. Um, 
instead of like little kind of notes this time around, um, which I usually do. But I think just I yeah. kind of want to talk about like Alice and Betty's relationship in this episode because I thought that was really interesting and specifically the scene where they Very. were getting really emotional and stuff. I was really moved by that scene. I thought that was really lovely. I agree. I agree completely. Um, I have had a look online and stuff like that. And I saw that a lot of people were like, these two women deserve a freaking Oscar for that scene, you know? And I, I don't know if we need to go that far, but they're both so insanely talented. And that scene was gut wrenching. Yeah. And what broke my heart even more is that Betty is still yet to find out that, uh, you know, um, Alice is, is scared of her. Yeah. Which was an interesting, I have so many feelings about, I, I, I like can't quite figure out my feelings for Alice. I've always been like, she's a bad mom and da da da. And I still think that's pretty true. Uh, she's a pretty bad mom, but she's also human. And, um, and I don't think it's impossible for a parent to be scared of their child. Like, I feel like, especially parents of maybe uh, kids who, you know, uh, serial killers and mass murderers and things like that. The the kids that go to their schools and um, with guns like Columbine and all that stuff that's happening in America right now. Uh, those people have mothers uh -huh. and those people have uh, parents. Um, and so it's interesting to think about... Uh, how those parents would feel about their child, um, who turns out to be, you know, really dark and evil. But knowing Betty, it just seems so unwarranted, especially because Alice has done things that were just as bad as Betty. It's, I don't know, it's really tricky because oh, I, my heart broke for Betty this episode because she's given in or she's given up however you want to put it, she's come to the conclusion that her mom doesn't want to be saved. And that is gut-wrenching. And to hand your mom over to somebody that in the last scene you physically attacked, that's like... And there's, I mean, I, uh, I come from a family with, uh, addiction to alcohol, the alcoholics, basically. Um, and, uh, you know, there is a point where you, I mean, for as much um, as you want to hope and help your parent or help your family member, whoever's suffering, there is a point that you get to where it's just like, I can't help this person. Uh, this, they have to help, they have to want to help themselves. Um, and if people don't want to, exactly. like, her, her having her mom um, like locked down in the doily's little bunker or whatever, um, wasn't ever going to do anything. Her mom was never going to, uh, succumb to whatever Betty wanted. And she was never going to agree with Betty if she didn't want the help. Um, uh -huh. and yeah, the, it, I, I think it's good for Betty to step away from her mom. I think she needs that. Uh, but yeah. what scared me more about that for Betty was that she, it was more of the way that, um, not that she was taking sides with the farm, but that she gave in to them. I didn't really like, that made me nervous for her. Um, cause I'm afraid if she's, if she's willing to 
trust them, quote unquote, with like her mom or whatever, um, and her family, what else is she going to trust them with? And I'm also just, yeah, I'm worried about that. If she had just been like, okay, I can't help you because you don't want to be helped. So do whatever you're going to do and like kind of let her go on her own. But when she went back to Edgar and had that other conversation with him, I'm worried about her. It's crazy though, because I know what you mean about people not, you know, you can't help somebody until that Mm -hmm. person wants help. Uh, I remember, God, years ago, years and years ago, I knew this girl and I was never her biggest fan. And it was because she was stuck in a really bad relationship. Any time I would see her, she would cry and complain and she was just always negative about how unhappy she was in this relationship. But she would not leave the guy. And it got to the point, like, you would help and you would sit with her for hours. I remember one time I even went and picked her up from her house because she was so upset. And again, this is a girl that I know through another friend. This is an acquaintance. We were never close or anything like that. But it got to the point where I was like, you don't want help. I can't help you until you realize that this is a bad situation. And until you're out of it, you're not going to be okay. And, you know, it wasn't abusive or anything like that. She was never in any danger, but she was just deeply unhappy in the relationship. She just didn't want to be with him, but she wouldn't leave him. And years and years later, she left him. And now she's a totally different person. Again, we're still not friends, really. We're more acquaintances. But every time myself, my friend that she was very close with and her hung out, it was just hours and hours of her telling us how unhappy she was. And I turned to my friend at one point and I said, I don't want to talk about this anymore because we've given her our thoughts. We've given her our help. We've given her our opinions and she's not trying to better herself. She just wants to talk about it. She doesn't want to fix it. And that's really hard. And that's a really like hard realization to come to because you have to let that person go. And I know, I know, you know, I've known you long enough and I've known my, I know myself that, that's not the kind of person that you or I are. We want to help and we want to see a person in, in a better situation, but there's only so much you can do when you're not directly involved. And it's, yeah, it's tricky. It's really, really tricky. And I think it, I think it speaks volumes to who Betty is as well. Her handing Alice back. It tore my heart apart because I was like, she is literally giving the only thing she's got left away to somebody and something that she hates and doesn't understand. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard, especially when it's something that she knows, even though um, the farmies and her mom and whoever else can say like, you don't get it. Like you don't understand. Like Betty's right. Like she also, because we know that she's right because she's, you know, one of the protagonists of the show and whatever, but just in general. And she also knows in her heart that she's right about this whole situation. So that was so scary too. Not only, and it's the same thing of like, like having to leave your family member to their addiction. Like, you know, it's something that could hurt them, could kill them, um, could hurt other people, but you have to 
you have to let it go because you can only control what you do. You can't ever control what anyone else is doing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, God. Anyway, it's... What can yeah. you do, really? Could, Betty couldn't have done anything anything else. She did everything she could, and that, that was it. But I, I'm, I'm just hoping... I mean... We've talked about it a few times, so we don't have to go on about it, but I'm just curious what's going to continue with Betty and the farm, how she's going to keep going with them. Exactly. Because it's not over, and if they think it's over, then they're not paying attention. Yeah. I just, oh God, I just, I don't know what's going to happen. But also, okay, so Cheryl is seeing Jason. And Alice is seeing mm-hmm. Charles. When Edgar and Betty were talking, why didn't he just be like, come, Betty, let me show you. Let let me let you have this experience. Because if she saw somebody or she had that, you know, effect happen to her, maybe she'd be on board. And that could have spun the story in a really interesting way where Betty, the smartest of the smart, has been duped into this cult well, too. So here's another thing I was thinking about this episode. It kind of ties it in to, to another point I have. Um, because I'm wondering, these things have been happening simultaneously. G&G and the um, Jingle Jangle and and then also uh, this farmy um, and farm storyline has been happening, you know, coexisting. And I'm now wondering how connected they are because when we... When they talk about how uh, the people who are joining the farm are like Cheryl and Polly, I'm assuming, and Alice um, are seeing their dead loved ones and talking to them and having conversations with them, there's only so many ways someone could pull that off. And one of those ways, I think, might be drugs, might be doing some hallucinate, like hallucinatory thing, like a short-lasting... Um, kind of drug episode because Cheryl when Tony asked her do you hug Jason like can you touch him basically um she kind of answered that with a lie like she wasn't she was like oh yeah of course I of course I've hugged him um but that was yes I made a note about that too I was like yeah. mm, really yeah. have you really there were so many him? things I wanted Tony and I wanted um Betty to say to them about it it's like well, what, especially with Tony, um, not to get into another note, but I was just like, sc- like screaming in my head when I was watching the scene where uh, Cheryl broke up with her, tried to break up with her for the umpteenth time. Oh my God, I know. I was too, but then, y- y- you know, you see that she was actually just playing along, but thank God no, she no, was. Um, I-, I was like screaming in my head about how I wanted Tony to ask Cheryl would Jason want you to do this? What would Jason say about this? If Jason loves you, he wouldn't want you to do this. You know, like, and that was something I was curious about Betty asking Alice as well. Like, what's Charles saying to you? I want to know what they're talking about. What what conversations are you having with your, and you know, they are dead loved ones. And so you know why they're not having those conversations, right? Well, because they don't want to give away the, we need to Right, exactly. They want to keep us on the, I mean, the hook, so we we keep talking about it and we keep watching. Just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that these oh, characters God. would ask, but 
but anyway, back to like the original oh, note. The only way it seems to me that that he's pulling off these uh, conversations that people are having with their dead loved ones is either some sort of great smoke and mirrors, which I don't know how he would pull that off, um, or it seems to me drugs. So I'm curious how connected with Jingle Jangle we're going to be. I think it's uh, I think it's all oh, the fizzle rocks. Yes. I, I think it's to do with the oh, fizzle yeah, rock. Jingle was the old one. Yeah. Sorry. I'm all over the place. How dare you get the name of the drug wrong? <laughs> oh my goodness. Like I don't even know you. Oh God. Speaking of those fizzle rocks, that foaming at the mouth, really doesn't sit right with me i'm like oh no i can't watch this yeah, this makes me pretty feel gross sick. but and uh, am i right in thinking that this is gladys that's behind all of this right i know that this episode they uh went after the dealer but she's the one that's cutting this fizzle rocks with something else, i believe so she? and that was why too another frustrating part of this episode was me just being like jughead <laughs> it's your mom tell your dad that it's your mom I know I thought the same thing I was like why is he not cutting the snake yeah. off at the head you know yeah. <sighs> anyway I just read my last note and it's so funny but I'm not going to say it until right when we're finished because I think you will find it really entertaining as well oh god I just read it and I was like that's <laughs> hilarious I'm so funny oh goodness <laughs> uh you know I, I think we said last episode or the one before uh, about like we're like where's Alice living so it's obviously very, it's obviously clear now that uh she is living at the farm because you know originally we we're like where are they staying like this is strange but then you know when she's meditating and Betty comes into her room that's a room at the Sisters of Quiet Mercy yeah that seemed uh obvious and her and her little twin bed it was weird it was really weird like you're an adult woman come on exactly exactly you need at least a at least a double (laughs) what is I, I kind of got confused and maybe you can elaborate for me you know when Betty was like mom are you and Edgar engaged yeah I I kind of got really confused about that I wasn't really sure what was happening because I know obviously Alice has served Hal with the divorce papers so she wants a divorce, but I don't understand why that led Betty to the conclusion that Edgar and Alice are engaged and are they actually, because she was very aloof in her answer. It was very vague. Um, yeah, no, that was weird to me too. It seemed to me that Betty's thought process was that was that she wouldn't be divorcing Hal if she didn't have other prospects. And maybe if she she wouldn't go through with the whole divorce if she didn't have, you know, another person she wanted to marry, maybe. And then Alice's vague answer made me think about how maybe, well, one, <laughs> Alice seems to be the only adult other than Edgar in the farm, except for those weird townies that we saw before. Yeah. And also, can we talk about very quickly, just to interject, uh the fact that Edgar is way too young for Alice. I mean, that's all. That's all. I don't think he's that much younger than her. I think think he's meant to come across as the same age as her, but they're of different eras, you know, like if you look at 
when I don't know how to pronounce her name, I'm going to call her Madchen because that's what it looks like, but I'm sure it's wrong. You look when she started her career versus when he started his. He started in like the mid 90s and she was like late 80s, early 90s. So there is a bit of an yeah, age but, difference. I mean, I don't care about age, like age, especially when you're an adult to that like when you're that older, much older, I don't know if uh, age differences mean too much, but that's it all comes down to personal preference. I'm literally looking up the age difference between the two because I would say it's oh, probably like ten to fifteen years. I think it's actually only seven. Wow. Yeah, because she was born in. Oh no 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 no! It's way bigger. It's way bigger. Hang on. I thought he was born in seventy-seven. He's not. Um. Wait, hang on. Nah, there. And then he's 1981. Yeah, it's an 11 year difference. Which is not that bad in terms of. No, it's actually not. I thought it was more. Yeah, but. um. Damn, but... his picture on uh, IMDb is hot. <laughs> oh, sorry, I've fallen down a rabbit hole now. You yeah, might have to do no. it by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what it did make me think of because of Alice's vague like response was that I now wonder if Edgar is one of those um, one of those cult leaders that, like, has many wives, or not even wives, but he has, like, he's, like, partners, partners with, like, a bunch of people. I don't know. Yeah, that's possible as well. I don't know. I don't know, but it was it was weird, and it was a weird conclusion to come to as well. So, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. We'll have to we'll have to wait on that, I think. Yeah, we'll have to see what happens. Yeah. Um, I, I know I mentioned it before, but God, I loved when Betty pushed Evelyn. Yes, oh my I, gosh. I loved that. It was so great. And I mean I don't condone violence. Oh I do. And I'm not <laughs> I'm not violent myself, but you know, you all have those moments where you are like at your breaking point and somebody pushes you like that and you just want to smash them. Yeah. Well, another but thing that kept... not. Sorry. No, 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 you're fine, hun. Go. Well, that was just the thing that kept bothering me the whole episode. Like I think maybe it was only one other conversation, but it was enough to make me like ah, frustrated that Tony even was talking to Evelyn after Evelyn snuck up on her in the bathroom. Um, yeah, that little, was scary. Little creep. Um, <laughs> but that she even, like, gave her the time of day. If I... I would do exactly what Betty did. Like, this girl is spouting, like, vitriol and, like, evil. And she's awful. And she's maybe just as brainwashed as everyone else because it's her father. And, you know, she was probably the first farmy because it's her dad. But she is spreading these bad things and, and tearing people apart from one another. And she's just a bad person. I wouldn't give her the time of day. I would be like, I would flip her off and tell her to go F herself. Cause yeah, I don't want to feed the snake and she's one of the snakes. I know. I know. And it's so funny because that actress, I've seen photos of her as her, you know, like her headshots and stuff. And she's really so beautiful but they've given her this really like kind of hippie unkept look on the show and yeah even in that scene where she's talking to Tony where she's like 
you know, have a blessed day. And she just looks so wild and creepy. And I was like, oh, God, I can't stand her. But I'm sure she's like the sweetest person in real life. Yeah. And I think it shows that she's a really good actress because I really hate that character. Yeah, I do, too. I do, too. I think she did a great job. Yeah. Well, I had a quick question, and then I've got some notes actually about Archie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know when um, that cheerleader is banging her head against the lockers and, you know, our heroes come out, and they're like, oh, my God, get her to the infirmary. Yeah. Do you guys call it an infirmary here? Um, no. Not what really. do you guys call it? Uh, the nurse's office. At school, we would have called it the nurse's office. Okay, because it threw me. His choice of words in that scene, Jughead, I was like, infirmary? What are we, in the army? Yeah, no, that wouldn't really be, at least in any school I've been in, it would be like, you gotta take her to the nurse's office. Yeah, do you want to know what we call it in Australia? What is it? We call it sick bay. Sick bay. Yeah, B-A-Y, sick bay. So it's kind of like, oh, I feel sick, can I go to the sick bay? And they're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so chill. It's Whatever. weird saying it now because I'm like, oh wait, hang on, do we actually call it sick bay? I'm like, yeah, we do sick bay. That's so funny. I know because I, I mean, I don't remember in like elementary school. I remember in high school it was an actual nurse. Um, but we never said, oh, can we go to the nurse's office or anything like that. It was always, can we go to sick bay? Hmm. Yeah. Just something interesting. Because when I heard Jughead say, oh, infirmary, I was like, oh, maybe that's what they call it in America. But I was like, that didn't sound right. Yeah. Maybe it's regional, but. Could be. It's not what, not what I've ever heard. Yeah. Well, like I said, I do have some notes on Archie and they're. They're basically just calling him a piece of shit because, you know, Archie, I love him, but he's so dumb. Um, The scene where uh, Alice is doing her interview for TV, uh, I love the fact, first of all, that Alice introduces Veronica and Veronica basically introduces Archie. I'm like, really? Is Veronica necessary? Like, does she need to be there in that scene? Uh, But what I did love was the fact that Archie, as he's reading those cards, is like upset by the fact that, oh, he's giving away free sessions. <laughs> Here's a great idea, Archie, because we all know you're a fucking idiot. How about you read the cards before the interview so you can change things like that? <laughs> like, really, when's he going to learn? Also, it helps you give a better line read. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, I was just like, fuck, Archie, you're so dumb, but you're so beautiful to look at. (laughs) Anyway, but um, another thing that I was like, really? Really, though? So, you know, the scene where uh, Archie and the rival uh, get onto the scales to do their weigh-ins. Yes, and then they show their Yeah, which I was like, oh, God, just put your arms down. Stop. It's embarrassing. Right. It's like, it's just awkward and it looks douchey. And I get that that's what they do. And I'm not involved in that kind of world, but I was like, eh, don't like this. Um, Did you believe they were 150 something pounds? I have no idea anymore. I don't know. 
It's so confusing. I'm just going to throw it out there. I weigh more than that. And I don't have nearly the muscle or the height that either of those boys have. And I'm not overweight. No, you're not. So I was like, "Mm, don't know if I would have put them in the 150s. But again, I also don't know much about wrestling and boxing and all of that. I don't know what weight classifies what weight class, you know? So uh, I know that Elio says a particular weight class. I don't know if that falls around the 150 pounds mark or not, but I certainly did not believe that first guy was 150, 150 something. Yeah. He, I mean, he was taller and physically a lot bigger than Archie. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know how, uh, we also don't really know how tall these guys are. So. Right. They could be, I don't know how tall KJ is. Um, no. But yeah, I have Hang no on, idea. Let's... I'm the worst at that as well. I don't know any, it's all confusing. I'm going to see if my trusty uh, uh, IMDB has anything about his height. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. He's a baby. <laughs> he was born in 97. Wow. Oh, my he's God. So young. So young. Okay. He's 5'11". Okay. Do you know what his real name is? Oh, I hadn't even thought about that. No, go ahead. KJ stands for... Kaniti James. Whoa. Kaniti, K-E-N-E-T-I, James Fitzgerald Appa. Wow. That's a, that's a name. It is. Um, I mean, he's from New Zealand and I'm actually wondering if that is a, uh, uh, a Maori name. I ha- I'll have to ask, um, uh, a friend of mine that's, uh, from New Zealand. I'll have to see if that's like a typical uh, Maori name. I know he's not Maori, but perhaps he's of Maori descent. I'm not sure. Interesting. Regardless, he's 5'11". He's 5'11". Huh, well, yeah, I don't know. I'm the worst at that, so I have no idea. Yeah. Anyway. And it's obviously very apparent that we're having another Veronica and Archie steam up. Yeah. And it was interesting, her interaction with Josie as well. Yeah. Yeah, because when she was all like, oh, is he wearing a new outfit? And she's like, yeah, I got it for him. And I'm like, oh, shit's about to hit the fan. Yeah. Uh Uh-oh. Well, I've only got one note left, and it's my hysterical one, so I want to save that. So what have you got? Um, I think the only thing left to really cover is just, I mean, and we've we've talked about this all the time, but how – the kids run the show and without uh without Jughead, FP would just he wouldn't even know how to be a sheriff. Oh, FP, I love him. I do too, but it was just really oh, there's another thing. But yeah, but that was really really funny to me. Crazy. Yeah. What was your other thing? I'm curious now. It just it was nice to see Fred. I know. And you know what? I think I said it a couple of episodes ago. Every time he pops up, my heart just hurts. Yeah. And, you know, even like when he was sitting there watching Archie's boxing match and he was pretending to punch and spar. That was so sweet. I know. And that's the thing. Like, I think normally we wouldn't find that as adorable as 
it is, but because I think we know we don't have him for much longer, everything is heightened. Yeah. I know, but it was, yeah, it was lovely to see him and I'm never, I'm never going to stop enjoying his small appearances until obviously, you know, there is no more and then I'll be really sad, but yeah, I, we've got him for another couple of episodes, which is great. Yeah. Every time he shows up, I, because he's not, I mean, he's not always in every episode and just like, you know, Gladys or Alice, like we don't always see them every single time. So whenever you see him right now. I keep wondering, is this going to be the, is this going to be the last one? Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to see. Well, did you have anything else at all? No, that's basically it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, here's my last one. Oh, geez. Uh, You're going to laugh because you're going to be like, really, Jess? Really, though? (laughs) Uh, My last note is, yay, Jelly Bean's going to die. Jesus. (laughs) <laughs> I hate her. She's my new Polly and I hate her. Oh jeez. Oh god. I I just I couldn't help myself. I just could not help myself. <laughs> I she drives me as nuts as Polly does, and Polly's gone now, so I'm happy. So now we need to get rid of Jelly Bean. I mean, she doesn't she's not doing anything wrong. She's she's just there, you know? Dad, we're missing the cartoons. Shut up! I hate you. I I just don't know if it's warranted. I I don't think... I just don't know if it's warranted. Also, it's in this episode, maybe it's because she was with that other boy. She was with that other boy who looks so young. But it struck me how young she looks and how young she she is, assuming, um, in the show. It, It really struck me in this episode. Okay. Sure, I still hate her. <laughs> okay, jeez Louise. <laughs> okay, and let me clarify. When I say I hate her, I hate the character. I do not hate the actress. I'm sure she is also lovely. And let's be real. I'm prob- It probably just comes down to the fact that I'm super jealous that at her age, she's on my favorite TV show. And I'm sitting here like a fat sack of shit in my bed eating eggs. <laughs> You know, don't have to be so so hard on yourself, Jess. <laughs> oh no, I say it in like like with a grain of salt. You know, it's you know when you just it, it's a throwaway comment. I don't actually think I'm a fat sack of shit, but when I'm sitting in bed eating Easter eggs and I haven't showered, that's maybe a little bit how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> and this has turned into an episode of Jess. Uh, Jess tells her life story. Yeah. Hi, welcome. Well. What rating would you give this episode? Hmm. I I was pretty moved by the the Alice and Betty stuff and I thought there were some good um and interesting pieces. I'm curious to see um if Tony's going to get sucked in or if she's going to be a a actual good spy <laughs> unlike the one we had before um with Cheryl. Um yeah, so I think it's set up for some interesting things. I feel like we're starting to maybe connect some dots, um, which I'm looking forward to. So I would say probably like a B plus. Nice, nice. I um, I think I'd give it an A minus. Not my favorite episode, but 
like you said, I was very moved by the stuff that happened with Alice. Um, I had a bunch of notes. I enjoyed it. I had no problem watching it the second time through, which is a good sign for me. If I'm sitting there and I'm like, uh, or I'm, I pick up my phone and I start going through Facebook or something like that, then I know I, my attention is not being captured. And I had none of that this second episode, uh, the second time through. So yeah, an, an A minus somewhere like if there was something between an A minus and a B plus, I think that's where this episode would sit for me. Yeah. So I don't even want to say what our, our like next part of this podcast is because I know what she would do and it's sad, but what would Betty do this episode? She would learn to let go. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She'd give up her mom because it's what her mom wants. That's so sad. It is. It is sad. I mean, hopefully it's only a matter of time before Betty, you know, still takes this cult down because I think just because she's given her mom back to the cult doesn't mean she's going to stop trying to get her out of there. No, I don't think, yeah, I don't think so. I think she just knows that she's not going to be able to get through to her mom herself, so she's got to bring down the whole institution. Right. Right, she needs to find some way of discrediting it completely yeah. versus yeah versus um trying to get her mom out she's gonna have to try and disband the whole thing yeah yeah wow well she's got quite a task ahead of herself and even though her friends know about what's going on they're not really helping no no one's being very helpful no she has been in this the whole time by herself even Jughead is so preoccupied that you know he doesn't have the time to help her which is really awful but it's the way it is I suppose yeah 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 all right everyone well on that note we'll leave you all to it and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Betty Squared